beginning, of course, we're in our second week of our series uh, uh, through the Bible in a year. Uh, last week, we kind of laid the foundation for the Word of God and why is it so important to us. So this morning, we're really going to start getting through into the Bible. So anybody guess what book we're in? Who thinks we're in Genesis? No, nah, we're in Revelation. No, I'm kidding. We're in Genesis. Genesis 1. Go to Genesis 1. So last week... Uh, we began this series going through the entire Bible. Uh, it's going to take us about a year. We're kind of going to go story by story and theme by theme. And I gave you uh, several resources to help you in your personal study and your personal walk with God as we did this as a church, because that's really the only reason we're going to grow spiritually. Is if it's, you know What we do on Sunday is good and important and vital, but if that's all you're getting through the week, you're going to spiritually starve. And so we gave you some Bible reading schedules. Some, uh, we have a, a, several, a couple of them on the foyer in the, in the, uh, in, on the, the, the welcome desk in the foyer. We, of course, have the whole story Bible, which isn't every verse, but it is every major story and every major theme of the Bible. So if you would read that, it's about one or two chapters a day. You'll get the whole gist of the Bible, and you kind of stay in line with us as we're going through uh, the Bible this year. Then, of course, there's a chronological Bible study, uh, reading plan. You can pick that up, and that's every verse of the Bible in the original order uh, that it was written. You can join us on uh, version. We have several different studies going there. And then, of course, I said you could get the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you just read one story, every week with your family, you'd stay on track with us this year. And uh, we were here yesterday cleaning and uh, getting some stuff ready. And Callie was here and I asked her if she got the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, yeah, I got it. I said, did you like it? She goes, well, it doesn't have the Bible. It's just got the story. I said, that's, it's a storybook. It's not the whole Bible. It's just a storybook Bible. So it's a companion to scripture. It's not to replace scripture. So do not memorize the Jesus Storybook Bible, thinking you're memorizing the Bible, you're not. It is just a story of the Bible, so it's kind of to help you go along with it as you read the rest of the Scripture. Now, the reason we're doing this is because too many believers, they know bits and pieces of the Bible. They know certain stories. They know kind of the, the famous parts, and they know what most people know, but they don't really understand the whole story of the Bible. It's never really come together for them in a way that they see the, the Bible as a sweeping story of God's incredible love for them. The entire Bible, 66 books, over 3,200 characters, 1,600 commands, the entire Bible, all the different genres, it's one incredible story being told. And last week, as we got into this series, we kind of laid the foundation for this series, and we, we saw the importance of the Bible in our lives. We saw how the Bible is not just, it's not just a book of rules. It's not a list of Bible characters for us to emulate, but it's, it's life for us. It's guidance for us, and it's vital to us, and we need to, have the, we need to understand the true value of the Word of God. It's about this whole book is about Jesus. It's about God's incredible love for you and his plan to restore fellowship with him. Now, it's, this also is clearly seen in the very first passages of the Bible. So get your Bibles open to Genesis 1, starting in verse number 1. Bible says, and this is something we've probably already heard, 
all heard a lot. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of, the God, of God moved upon the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now these verses, they show us some vital truth about God before creation was even created that should really change our lives and change how we view God. And here's the things it shows us. Number one, it shows us when it all started, when everything began, God was there. Now, one of the problem, one of the struggles I've had this week is preaching through the whole Bible, you obviously start off and you obviously get to some places that are pretty well known. How do you preach creation to people who've been in church for years and have heard the creation story and, and know it and you say, oh, God was there. And you're like, duh, we understand that. But we're going to get to why this is about vitally important in a minute. And the Bible begins in the beginning God. This tells us a powerful truth that I think we know, but we don't really understand what it truly means. Before there was anything, there was God. Now, again, for most of us, that's common knowledge, but the truth, this truth is unique in other accounts of creation. In most accounts of creation, everything came from something. So before the world existed, there was something there that the world came out of. The ancient Egyptians, they believed that the world was created when there was a struggle between the gods. The god Orsus and Seth. I know Seth is like the greatest god name ever. You got Orsus and Seth had a battle, and Orsus was murdered, and through his blood the world was formed and humanity kind of came out of that. It was, it was a result of this God battle and we're just kind of an afterthought. The Greeks believed that the world was formed when the Titans were battling the gods and a giant sea creature was slain. And again, the world and humanity came out of the giant sea creature. Of course, we all know the Big Bang Theory of, of creation where Billions and billions and billions of years ago, before there was anything, there was a cloud of dust. And somehow, something banged, and that dust blew up, and then through billions and billions of years and cooling and heating and evolution, the world came to be, and we came because of evolution. They all have one thing in common. Creation was an afterthought. It wasn't on purpose. It was a, oh, I killed, you know, Seth killed Orsus and the world came out. Oh, the gods killed this sea creature and humanity came forth. Oh, cosmic dust blew up and all of a sudden the world was formed and humanity came to be and that's how we're here. It's an accident. It's an afterthought. Something was here before we were. In Genesis, everything starts with one God who creates everything by himself out of nothing. Isaiah 44, 24 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who, is in, is who, he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens alone, 
who spreads abroad the earth by myself. See, God says, look, you're not the result of me having a battle with some other God or some other deity or some other creature. You're not an afterthought. No one helped me. I was there in the beginning before anything else, and I created everything by myself. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't an accident. He didn't have help because he didn't need it. He did it alone. Everything comes from him, and it all exists for him. But it gets even better. Look over in chapter 20, uh, verse 1, chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. And God said, let us make man out of our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. See, what this tells us, not only did God create everything, he spoke the world of existence and he spoke the waters in and he spoke the firmament and he put the stars in the sky and he created all the animals and the fish and the birds and he did all that, but he created us, humanity, in his image. We were a special creation from God. See, everything else, he just, he spoke. He spoke the birds. He spoke the fish into the sea. He spoke the creeping things, the Bible says. He spoke, you know, he spoke your dog into existence, but he formed us out of the dirt of the ground in his image. We are the image of God. We are to bear his image to all of creation. Because God created everything out of nothing, and because God created us in his image, that tells us that our life will never have purpose or joy or meaning if God's not the central part of it. The human heart only functions properly with God at the center of it. The Bible tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. Blaise Pascal, he was a mathematician, but also a theologian. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. See, that's the problem the lost world has. They have a God-shaped hole in their hearts as well, but they're trying to fill it with everything except God, with success and fame and, and family and possessions and money and alcohol and drugs and relationships. They're trying to fill that hole with all those things, and it never satisfies. When God isn't in his proper place, happiness is always out of reach. Joy and fulfillment are just out of reach. Because you were made in the image of God, you will never find your place until you find yourself in him. Everything is from him and everything is for him and you exist. The world exists for his glory. There's a second truth that we see in these scriptures. When it all started... Love was there. Again, look at verse number 26. He says, let us make man in our image. Who's the, the us in this verse? It's God. You've been in 
church at a time, by the time you know the Bible theology, you know that when it says, let us make us in our image, it's not God and the angels, it's God. God is saying, let us create man in our image. It is the Trinity. In the beginning, and we see the Trinity at work in the first passage of Scripture. Again, it says, in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. That's God the Father. And it says, and the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, moved upon the face of the deep. And God said, that when God said, that's the Word of God. So from the very first three verses of Scripture, we see God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son at work. You know, John's Gospel, he tells us that the Word created everything and that Jesus is the Word. So from the very first sentences of the Bible, we see the Trinity, three persons existing as one. Now, We've come up with, people have come up with a lot of analogies to explain it, and all of them fall short. And it's hard to explain, it's hard to understand, but faith says we don't have to fully understand it to believe it. You say, well, what does that have to do with love? God did not create you because he was lonely. He didn't create you because he didn't have anyone to talk to. He was lonely and needed a companion. He created us because he loves us. He created us out of love. The best example is this is in a marriage. In a good marriage, you do not have kids because you're lonely. You have kids because you're in love. And out of that love, that of the overflow of that love, children are created. That's what we see in Genesis. God love, his, God's love spills out on the canvas of the universe and he invites us into a relationship with him because of his love. One phrase is, is repeated throughout the creation story, and God saw. As God created everything, he looked at it, he saw it, and he overlooked that. That's what a loving father does. A loving father looks over his children, looks over what he loves. God isn't distant from his creation. He is always overlooking it. He, he never forgets about you because he loves you. Whatever you're going through, God sees it. He sees the pain. He sees the betrayal that you're suffering through. He sees the trials and the troubles you're enduring. He sees you and he has not forgotten about you because he loves you. Whatever you're going through, God sees it. Because we are created in the image of God who created us out of love, our lives will never be complete outside of a community of believers. We see this in Scripture. You know, we see in, we'll see in chapter 2, we'll see it more in, the, in our growth group studies this week, but in chapter 2, you know, we kind of get a different recreate, we get a different story of creation. It's, it's the, like chapter 1 is kind of a poetic, this, you know, creation song, and then chapter 2 is more like a technical manual, this is how God did it, day 1, he did this, did this, this, and he said everything was good. Then he created everything, he finished it because it's very good. Then Adam started naming the animals, and God said there's one thing that wasn't good that Adam was alone. Now, was Adam really alone? He had God. And so you'd think, well, that's all Adam needs is God. 
But God realized, you know what, Adam needs someone like him, someone who understands him. God, Adam needs a companion. He needs someone to help him and encourage him and strengthen him. And so he created Eve. And then she ruined it all. No. Adam's at blame. He's the one that should have kept the garden. We all know that, all right? It wasn't the woman's fault. It's Adam's fault. We can blame him when we get to heaven. But anyway, God saw Adam and said, look, he's, and look, Adam was in, was, was in paradise. He, he, he had God with him. He had talking animals. You see, animals talk. All right, when, when the snake came to Eve and said something to her, if animals didn't talk, don't you think her first word would have been, what in the world? But she wasn't shocked by the talking snake because animals talk. I can't prove that, but I believe that. So he's in the garden. He's got God. He has no temptation. He, there's no sin yet. There's no sickness yet. There's no pain yet. There's no trials yet. He's in a perfect position. And God said, it's not good that he's alone. We were not meant to go through our walk with God by ourselves. God wants us to be part of a community of loving believers. The path towards God always leads through community. It always leads towards relationships with other believers. We're not made to live in isolation. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18 says that a man that separates himself has set himself up for destruction. God created our hearts and lives to work only when we are in community with other believers. And living in community, it keeps us accountable. It gives us courage because we realize we're not the only ones in this thing. We're not the only ones battling what we're battling. We're not the only ones struggling what we're struggling with. We're not alone in our walk with God. And here's the thing. Living in community doesn't just happen by just coming to church. You've got to join a life group on Sunday school before Sunday morning before you come to church. You've got to get a growth group throughout the week to get with other believers and study the Word of God and really just befriend them and have relationship and have fellowship with them and have someone that you can talk to and get encouragement from. Coming in, singing some songs, sitting for a while and leaving isn't community, it's going to church. And we aren't meant to just go to church. We are meant to be the church to help, to encourage, to strengthen each other. When it all started, love was there. And then number three, when it all started, darkness was there. Look again at verse number one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So we get, at the beginning, God created everything, right? Look at verse two. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. When it all started, darkness ruled the world. When it all started, before God started saying, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, before it started, God created the heavens, he created the earth, and the earth was chaotic and dark and empty. And God spoke light into it. This shows us some significant things. Number one, it shows us that God brings light into darkness. Through the word, 
God spoke light into the darkness. God, through his word, he brought order out of chaos. Why did God do it this way? Why did he create darkness just to speak light into it and cast it off? He was doing it to show that he works the same way in our lives. Our lives begin empty and dark until God's word brings life and peace and beauty and order and light into it. And when his word isn't part of our lives, when his word isn't central in our relationship with him, our lives are going to descend back into chaos and darkness. We see it in the Exodus story of Israel out of Egypt where Pharaoh rejects God's word and God sends plagues upon Egypt. Now, the plagues are not just 10 random punishments. You know, God's not in heaven going, well, he did it again. Let's pull from that, see what he's going to get, and just pull a random punishment out for Pharaoh and Egypt. They had a purpose to them. It begins with God turning the Nile into blood. Now, not only is this really freaky and scary, but it destroys the ecosystem. You know, fish live in water and they have their gills to breathe water and get oxygen for water. They don't do that in blood. You stick a fish in a bucket of blood, it's going to die. And you're a weirdo. But so it destroys the ecosystem. Then out of the, the, the blood, out of the Nile, frogs come out to infest the land. From the frogs, when they die, come, come, come bugs and gnats and flies and mosquitoes, and they begin to spread disease throughout the region. And then the disease destroys all the livestock and then boils and infests all the people. And then from there, rain, a fire falls down from heaven. Then locusts come and block out the sun and destroy all the crops that are left. And then darkness covers the world for three days. And the final plague is a death of the firstborn of every child in Egypt. This is a picture of creation unraveling because of sin. If God's only purpose was to show Pharaoh that he existed and he was more powerful, he could have used any other means. He could have done anything else to prove to Pharaoh that God was real and God was more powerful. But God was demonstrating something more powerful. He was not only showing his power, but he was showing us what sin and rebellion do in our lives. It unravels everything about us. It brings darkness that God has cast out. So in Genesis, God brings light into darkness. He brings order into chaos. In Exodus, he shows that sin causes chaos and darkness to return. The word of God creates, sin destroys. The same is true in our life. Sin brings chaos. Sin will bring darkness to your family. Sin will destroy your fellowship with God and will ruin your life. It puts you in darkness and it covers the light of God from you. Sin destroys what the word of God creates. But not only does it show us that God brings light to darkness, number two, it shows us that God will restore what we broke. As we've seen numerous times, John's gospel 
opens up his story of Jesus by connecting Jesus to creation. John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, by who? The Word. And without him, without the Word, was nothing created. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. So Jesus, the Word of God, that created everything, that spoke everything into existence, that brought light into darkness, that brought order out of chaos before we destroyed it, Jesus re-enters a dark, sin-filled, chaotic world to bring light and life back to it again. Throughout his earthly ministry, we see Jesus, uh, Jesus restoring what had been lost. We see Jesus fixing what we had broken. We see him bringing light into darkness. He heals disease. He opens blind eyes. He, he makes the lame to walk. He walks on water and calms the storms. He overcomes chaos. Wherever sin had left a dark void, he said, let there be life. He forgives adulterers and thieves and sinners. He removes their shame and transforms them. He takes Zacchaeus, a greedy tax collector, and transforms him into a generous man. He takes women who have lived their entire life in impurity and filthiness, and he makes them pillars of character and virtue. He raises the dead, conquering its darkness. And at the end of his life on earth, he does something incredible. He enters the darkness, he enters the chaos, and he gives up his own life. He gives up his life, and the Bible says the earth shakes and darkness falls over the world. The spirit, for a little while, quits hovering over him. God turns his back on the sun, and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a period, God turned his face on his son because when he saw him, he didn't see the holy, righteous son of God. When he looked at him, he saw my sin. He saw my shame. He saw your sin and your shame. He saw our brokenness. Jesus, the word that created this beautiful, perfect world is put into darkness and brokenness of sin. And he did it so that we, those who had rejected the word, could have light and life again. He did it to fix what we had broken. Jesus allowed himself to be broken on the cross so we could be fixed through his death, burial, and resurrection. There's a lot of debate, and I studied, I tried to figure out a, a a specific answer so I could t stand here today and say this is when it happened. There's a lot of debate as to what day of the week Jesus died. Was it Friday? 
because it was the day before Passover, which was Saturday, but that's kind of hard to give you three days, three nights, unless you're going with the, you know, a theory of the Jewish calendar, I mean, every, you know, any time of the day was a whole day. Was it, was it Wednesday because it was a, a holy day, the next, a holy, a high day the next day, and so that was the Passover in the middle of the week? You know, to me, it really doesn't matter what day he died. What matters is what day he rose. He rose on the first day of the week. He rose on the first day of the week to, to, to show us that he was starting something brand new. He was fixing what had been broken at creation. He came to fix what we destroyed. After his resurrection, when he sees his disciples, he greets them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That wasn't a common greeting of the time. He was letting them know he was beginning a new creation in them. He was making everything new. He was fixing what we had broken together. Christ fixes everything that we've broken through sin. Our lives, our families, our relationships. He is working to put it back together. His word, there from the beginning, is restoring, repairing, and bringing light into our dark, chaotic, broken world. You know, these first three verses of Genesis, they show us more than how God created everything. They show us what he is doing in creation. See, God made you for him. He isn't made for us. We were created for him. He created you to live in fellowship with him and in fellowship with other believers. His word brings light to darkness. His word brings peace to chaos, and it fixes everything that we have broken through our sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.